Welcome back to Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts. We are your hosts, Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers. Hi, our guest today is Paxton Downard. He's a property master from Vancouver, working mostly in television. Some of his credits include the current Batwoman on CW, The Hundred, uh, as well as a bunch of other shows kind of in the sci-fi genre, going all the way back to Battlestar Galactica. Uh, so we're really happy to have him on the show today. Hi, Paxton. Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's good to be here. That's great. So yeah, we were talking a bit before the show. Uh, Vancouver's still in a little bit of a, a shutdown, but you got some production kind of gearing up. Meetings at least, right? There's meetings happening. The The provincial health authorities said we're good to go. If we can provide a plan that says everybody's safe, then we can enter production. Mm -hmm. Cool. So if you're watching TV, if you watch any of the uh, Arrowverse television shows, I guess uh, Batwoman just kind of had their their final episode a few weeks ago. So let's just talk about that. That must have been something, huh? having to take on something as iconic as that as a props person? Yeah, when uh, when I first heard about it, which was long before it happened, um, I thought, that'd be really cool to tell the Bat story. Because immediately I thought of the Bat cache. I thought of the vehicles and the gadgets and the weapons and then the villains and all their, all their stuff. Um, yeah, so I was excited. And uh, when I got the pilot, it was, you know, we, we did, we had to do everything in about three weeks. Oh, wow. So, we uh, worked with a costume designer. Oh, yeah, we just hit the ground running, designed everything. Yeah, it went well. We got picked up. And the first season was just like more of the same, like just building, building, building. Yeah. Um, the writers really gave us, you know, a lot to work with. And the showrunner, Caroline uh, Drees, um, really participatory. You know, like, what kind of weapon, you know? And she'd ask the stunt mm -hmm. coordinator. Stunt coordinator would say, oh, it'd be great if she had, like, a bow staff kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, we can build a cool bow staff. What if it telescopes? What if it breaks in half? What if it works like batons as well? And then mm -hmm. they kind of, they're like, oh, we'll write to that. So um, it was a really great creative collaborative environment that way. Oh, great. So you're actually doing uh, the design as well as the fabrication? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I always started out doing with, with, with prop mastering when I transitioned from being a prop builder to a prop master is I brought my sort of building and design experience with me. Um, did a lot of low budget shows mm -hmm. and I'd show up and I'd be like, well, what if all the props look like this? And the production designer would be like, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't have to design the props now. <laughs> um, not always well received. Not always. So you know, some designers need to put their stamp on it. And in that process, I'm always very conscious of what the lead of the production designer and what the set decorator is doing with the sets, and you know, right. what the aesthetic is. I really follow that lead. But uh, and we create our department is quite self sufficient. Yeah. So did you bring? Do you have a fabrication department with you? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Before the hundred, but it really took root in the hundred. Um, the kind of shows I was doing, it was difficult to go to outside shops constantly. Um, and I started having builders on staff to, to handle, you know, aging and some of the light building. And then the next thing you know, we're casting and I'm sort of mentoring people and saying, oh, you can do this. It's easy, right? Uh -huh. And uh, so, yeah, we just, the shop built and more people came on and and with different expertise uh we bring contractors in all the time to handle specialty costume pieces or things like that um so yeah we we build i'd say 90 95 percent of all of our props in-house and so when you have a, a kind of trick weapon like a telescoping bat staff are you actually like engineering the mechanics for all that we as well? don't do anything that moves 
everything is visual effects. Okay. Um, they've done the cost benefit for this particular type of television show. Um, you'll notice it on a lot of the other CW shows. Um, uh-huh. Yep, they're happy to do visual effect work on on props. So you can pitch things with the provisio that yeah, you'd have to do this with visual effects, and they're like, okay, that's cool. Um, for instance, the bat bike that we made, um, right. all of the weapons pods. You know, there was no way to build sleek weapons pods that would hold those kind of mechanics. Mm-hmm. So they have magnetic plantons with covers on them. So we pop the covers off, you put the grapple or the launcher and you yeah. stick it in the side there and film it in whatever state you need. And they either erase it if they don't need it and show it coming out of the side. So it, it allows us a lot of creative freedom. We build the sort of before and after and then visual effects takes care of the intermediary. I draw the line at uh, um, handing actors green sticks though. That's not cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. And then with that being such like a, it's like a shared universe. So Batwoman actually appeared first on a different show. So does that mean were they, was somebody else making the props for her there? And then you had to kind of go off of somebody else's work when you took on the character? I was given permission to invent whatever I wanted to, whatever we needed to, um, to make uh, the Batwoman, the Batwoman we wanted to be for the series as opposed to the crossover. Um, so with a lot of the mm-hmm. weapons and the belt props, uh, we went away from a very feminine, sleek set of lines and went to a much more abrupt, aggressive kind of looking tools. Um, that was something that they wanted to to do for Ruby. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we, you know, the costume designer that, that took over, um, we worked together very, very closely. Um, these things, These suits fit like a glove, right? Mm-hmm. So they're always being fit and tweaked. And then they go on stunt people and they get thrown off buildings and we constantly have to repair them. Um, so it was important for us to build something that would last the run of the show and be, we'd be able to maintain and, uh, we, and would look good in all, all conditions. Yeah. It wasn't made out of aluminum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how much lead time do you have on these props, like from the time you get the script to the time that they're filming? The episodic props, we have eight days. So that's, um, and they're pretty good. Usually about eight days, we get the scripts every eight days they land, we break them down. Big things like um, super villains and things like that, when they have a lot of costume pieces and big props, um, I usually get an extra eight to 16 production days sort of lead time. Mm-hmm. I get an idea of what that initial script looks like and like, hey, you're gonna need to build this. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know it's a it's a team effort, and the you know the people who write it and the people who produce it, they're smart. They'll phone me and say, well, "This is coming down the pipe," but it is breakneck. Like right. a lot of stuff we get, and then yeah, you know immediately we have to produce some kind of concept or artwork, start the dialogue around what it's going to ultimately be, and then just and build, build, build. So you did the the bat chopper. Yeah, right? yeah, so that was a pretty cool prop <laughs> yeah, yeah. what are what are some of the other highlights of the first season that you that you worked on um to be honest there was a bunch of work that we did for the final two episodes that we were unable to film mm-hmm. that was really oh, yeah. really cool and i can't say what it is yeah. but we were you know <laughs> it's like you get to the last couple of episodes and they're like let's do this and you're like yeah let's do this and we did it and then no one could see it and i can't talk about it um the, the villains were really, really fun to do. Yeah. You know, that, that was one of my favorite parts. Um, each villain had their own shtick. 
Um, each villain had their own style. So it really added a lot of variety. You know, we got to do like massive battle axes, the kind that you always want to build when they're like battle axe and you're, they're like, it's too small. Yeah. And you're like, it's too small. Yay. <laughs> um, that was a cool, a cool thing. And, uh, you know, the, the character Alice, she had all these butterfly knives and she always had this crazy business, you know, like her henchmen would always be painting her fingernails. And so some of the people on our team were just, you know, they were always excited. What's Alice going to be doing in the scene? And we, we get to build um, all of the prosthetic faces. We got to do all the surgical instrument spreads. And so a lot of the builds, um, we, we look at everything like a build. Yeah. You know, we're never going to go to a store or a rental house and just pick something up and throw it in front of camera. Um, we really do embellish everything. And, right. you know, if we have surgical tools, we'll build a surgical tool roll. Right. Um, it gets a slice if it gets seen on camera. Sometimes it never gets seen, but having your own shop means that the actors get to play with like really cool stuff and they have the option to film yeah, know, anything they want. They never have to look away because it's, there's nothing there. Right. Yeah. And yeah. do you have actual collaboration with the actors on any pieces? Um, like as you're building them or as you're kind of coming up with them? Yeah. I mean, fittings are one of the things we do. Um, you get sunglasses, you get rings, you get, belts and tactical gear and guns and things like that. You need to fit them in it. Um, for some of the main characters, yeah, they'll say, man, I wish I had this or that would be cool. That starts a dialogue about, hey, right, maybe yeah. we could do this in this episode. You don't just randomly drop stuff on a director because it's, you know, you get fired. But um, right, right, yeah. you can definitely like take people's ideas and start getting them out there. And uh, so that's a fun part. But we do food scenes and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of communication with the actors about, you know, what their preferences are for things like that. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's how theater, there's always some actor who's like, I really need a pipe. <laughs> well, we have a props truck, right? And it's full of just about I have everything. have to ask the director for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, uh, The 100, another show that's like really a big mix of uh, uh, sci-fi and I mean, I always think of like the weapons and all the sci-fi kind of gear. Yeah. It's a really interesting mix of stuff because it's like some of the stuff semi-futuristic. Some of it's like really alien. And then there's the real uh, Mad Max kind of primitive stuff going on, too. So did you do all seven seasons or? I started in season three. I guess started in season three mm -hmm. um, and then, and then season seven is done by another prop master. I got asked to do Batwoman and all the powers of B at Warner brothers were like Batwoman. I was like, okay, I'll do Batwoman. And they got a good guy and I'm watching <laughs> that season now. And I'm just like, Oh my, cause it was really hard. It was a hard show to do. Like yeah, the resources we had were, were tight and there was a real push to make it look awesome and deliver all these beats in every yeah. scene, you know? So we, we did, we worked incredibly hard and, uh, but being able to just build for all these crazy new worlds and we never knew what Jason was going to do. And you know, all mm. of a sudden we're in this place and all of a sudden we need this. And so it was really, really fun. And it's nice actually to see the final season as a, as kind of a fan not to know the story yeah to watch it you know and see and just enjoy it enjoy it mm -hmm. you know i love storytelling and i know often when the episodes come to air i kind of watch them while i'm doing something else because i just know the episode so well and you know i've watched dailies and it's kind of been printed in my brain and um so yeah it's it's uh -huh. it's been the hundred was great i really enjoyed it it must be fun. Like, oh, is this prop going to be in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, did, I actually talked. Actually, I talked to the prop master quite a bit during production. He'd call me up and he'd be like, okay, what's this thing? And I'd tell him. And 
So it was, uh, it was fun. It was really fun. But yeah, the, the hundred had a lot of fabrication too. I mean, I don't think there really would have been anything you could just go out and buy because it was such a completely different world. Almost never, almost never. There was very few occasions. I mean, other than peeling the sticker off of some amazing piece of glassware that you found that is perfect. Um, yeah, we built and altered and modified everything. You know, the directive was, you know, we had different levels of grime for the grounders when the arc was a thing and we had these like kind of paint schemes and uh so it all becomes code words and now even when we're working on batwoman it's like is that grounder dirty is that grounder dirty it's kind of a shallow mm-hmm. valley, kind of a sh- <laughs> kind of a shallow valley dirty like some colors coming through okay cool so yeah we created this this whole you know because we, we cared you know and and the showrunner would be like these people are from this place and they remember their color scheme it's like yep totally got that I mean, it was a trick. It was very, very demanding. Um, a lot of the, the the time bending and the fact that the episodes took place, entire seasons would happen in like 10 days. Mm-hmm. There'd be props that would pop in an episode and they would just be like cruising through episodes and episodes and people would come and go and what backpacks did they have? So there was a lot of just that that legwork of making sure that all the right stuff is there and that it matches so that when people are binging they don't go from one episode to another with like the wrong backpack or you know appear in another episode right yeah uh or appear later with the the thing that they threw in the the bushes while they were like fleeing the bad guys um it's a real trick to keep all that lined up and uh you know a lot of shows don't shoot in a in an episodic fashion, something will happen. We have an actor availability issue. A whole broad swath of filming will be tagged for a later date. Um, and then there's also inserts. So um, the hundred, it was, you just always had to have everything inventoried and be able to grab it because they'd say, Oh, these scenes that we didn't do, we're doing them today. And you'd have to like reconstitute it all and put it out there. So, I mean, that's, that's TV now. And my experience is a very, it seems very fluid a lot of the time seems like there's a lot going on right yeah yeah outside of the props department that we just have to continually react to right yeah do you spend a lot of time on set while they're filming or are you in your shop or how do you divide up your time i divided my time by running around to all three places every day (laughs) (laughs) there's uh you know I, i think i spend most of the time in the office um that's where we just we're always going through lists and there's always a meeting to be had and then um i i like to open set you know particularly on directors big days and you know when their first days you show up and make sure that your your team's up to speed with everything all the particulars you know things have changed from how the script says you need to make sure the Mm -hmm. writers and everybody who's there for the filming knows that a, a change has been made that isn't reflected in the pages um, so the set trips are really, really important. My team is really good. I don't actually need to be there. I do get in the way. Um, and then it's almost the same for the shop. You know? <laughs> I go to the shop. Everybody's like, oh, uh-huh. don't let him touch anything. He'll break it. But I'm always team. suggesting new processes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm always suggesting new processes. And we're always talking about, you know, how are we going to get this done in X amount of time? So, yeah, it's a, I, I, I do make it to the shop quite a bit. I have an excellent team. I mean, from the shop yeah. to the office to set, yeah. um, you know, they're just all really committed. They read the scripts. They know what the stuff is for. They're, they like telling stories and, mm. uh, and they're really, they're all in because we do it for months and months and months on end. And, uh, you know, 12 hour days is a normal thing in television. So. And speaking of processes then, uh, especially with all the, the kind of like sci-fi kind of 
gear, what are your, your go-to processes, the materials that work the quickest and tools, machines, or, or what, what kind of processes are you using the most? Well, I don't want to cop out and say 3D printer, but 3D printer. Um, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's really, you know, I, my, my first exposure to 3D printing was when I worked on Stargate. Actually, before that, we'd in a shop that I'd worked in, we sort of investigated it. Uh, it wasn't really to the quality we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought it could save us some uh, sanding time and legwork and design time. Over the years, yeah. as the prices have come down and the quality's gone up, um, we've con- continually used them. But now you can print parts constantly. Yeah. Some of them don't really need to be finished that much, you know, especially the SLA printers. Mm-hmm. They're really, really good. Um, the additive printers... Um, I love it when we can use the texture of the additive printers and not have to do anything to them, but there is a lot of sanding and filling for those. But you can achieve really cool designs right. um, quite quickly. Uh, when we did the when we did Batwoman's uh, motorcycle, we took like a model of the bike and we just modeled all the parts in 3D. And then some of them we printed whole, some of them we sliced up and printed in sections. And just, you know that we knew where all the mounting brackets would go, and it just made a really Herculean task easy the way we used to do it is you know we'd cut patterns we mm-hmm. shave foam <laughs> you know it, it's a lot yeah, of that, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of that craft is unfortunately being um being usurped um by just a completely different design design method but there's so many instances where the 3d prints you know they come off the printer and you know oh that thing goes there instead of there you've got a fabricator standing by who's able to take apart modify it precisely and do what they need to do or you know there's many times i walk into a shop i'm like let's do this thing here and then we'll mold and cast it for a safe version of whatever and you know someone will put up their hand and be like mm-hmm. how about i just build that out of eva and paint it and i'm like that is such a good idea <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um there's a there's a lot of roads to rome um and so the diversity of materials you're asking what my favorite is uh, my favorite is the one that gets the job done and gets it done right like quickly and efficiently and right, uh, right. so that leaves a lot of different ways to do stuff yeah i just had a 3d printer i finally set it up at the start of the pandemic because i had time yeah and right ba- and like learned it and started printing and all of a sudden it's like okay i get this now all yeah. <laughs> especially this like mechanical precise stuff it's like i no longer have to figure out where to drill a hole on this piece and this piece so they line up when i'm all finished assembling it i just <laughs> draw it in 3d and everything's exactly where it needs to be there you go exactly and i imagine like collaborating you can share designs especially with you know directors who cannot visualize anything and don't want to sign off any on anything that looks unfinished so if you could just like shoot off a quick rendering before you even print exactly they could react to it pretty quickly yeah, that's a that's a very common sort of thread in the process. You get your 3D design. Um, sometimes we'll actually take 3D design and just, rather than doing texture maps and having to render it and do all that, I'll just throw it into a drawing program and just like kind of paint it a little bit, mm-hmm. give it a bit of color, um, make it look more like an illustration, and then um, send that out. And you send it out to everybody. And it's, it's it. I, I love this way of working. You know, I, I remember when you know we were building and you'd take some photos and a buyer would come and pick them up. And, um, you know, you'd hope to hear back from the art department the next day while everyone stands around and it's like, should we paint it? You know, like, <laughs> you just, uh, you know, it's, uh, but on the other hand, like I, I've been asked for props 
literally before lunch we're in a, in a scene they're going to shoot after lunch and you know having a shop available oh, and, no. and you're just like oh yeah sure we can do that you know guys like yeah i need like a whip or a cat of nine tails and we're like yeah we'll build that and you know it's all done by text it's all done by images the approvals all go through and you know an hour and a half later someone's driving a, a new prop to set um set to bad president makes everybody crazy because mm-hmm. you know directors would be like i can have anything i want whenever i want it but yeah. it has compressed <laughs> the the process down to a point where when the writers are writing stuff you know they're less hesitant to just be like oh you know he's got a giant lab experiment with monitors everywhere and steaming mm-hmm. smoking stuff and you know and uh, he cracks the thing open and it's full of glistening gleaming microchips and you're like, oh, they're writing that for me. Great. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we can achieve that. We can do a lot of things that, you know, back when we used to have to like, you know, like shape down all that acrylic and then flame treat it and figure out how to embed it in a, you know, just that, that hand building, um, that's gone away by and large. So you, you did mention Stargate. So, uh, I got to right. ask about Stargate because for, for a long time, that was my go-to show, my favorite show. Cool. Cool. <laughs> so what'd you work on Stargate? <laughs> uh, I started on Stargate in season 10 of SG-1, which I think was season three of Atlantis. And then SGU, uh, I worked the first season. Uh, and then I left to do the Olympics when they came to Vancouver. And then I came back and worked on uh, season two of SGU. And that was it. But uh, it was a uh, it was it was the first place I'd ever seen a build shop that I was just like wow. They had CNC machines, mm-hmm. they had a full paint booth, they had downdraft like massive downdraft shipping containers they converted. You could do all your molding and casting on these huge downdraft tables. It was not it was a, not only like a great place to work, but it was actually a kind of healthy place to work, you know, in the world of shops. And That's we just really nice, yeah, yeah, and we just made like because again like the hundred is foreign alien lands every episode and a different one it seemed right so we would just continually be working on props yeah. set pieces costumes like it was just the, the entire show was just this huge um on the shop side of it i uh, was just producing these worlds you know mm-hmm. every eight days we'd produce these worlds you know um it, so that that was uh that was where i got the idea that that reactivity and 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 that uh how much you could do for a show just by having your own shop so that's that's where i got that and a lot once once that ended and that shop broke up most tv shows could never support a shop like that right so um i can think of three three other separate prop building shops that were spawned from people who worked on that shop in vancouver oh Um, really yeah 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 so everyone left but great team like really good team and i and i still you know some of those props Mm -hmm. that we don't build in-house i use those people um you know, specialists in certain areas, jewelry. There's a fellow named Merrick. He's an amazing jeweler and then a really talented sculptor. Um, he does all kinds of cool stuff for me. Um, there's a gentleman named Paco who was kind of, he, Paco was the designer in the shop and he knew the electronics, he knew the CNC. He was just, he, and he was a great sort of organizer. Turns out he's a good businessman too. He's got a very, very successful shop in town here. And uh, he does his work. Mm-hmm you his work is better than the cg thing they have to model it from yeah um he does (laughs) a lot of a lot of the features um yeah so yeah it was it was a great experience and and that one place produced a whole generation of of builders in vancouver that are you know constantly working and it's great that there is that 
community that you could draw from anytime you have a specialty need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we did a suit for Kevin Conroy um, that was uh, was based on the Kingdom Come suit. So it's Bruce Wayne wears an exoskeleton. He's so destroyed. He's got to wear this exoskeleton. And uh, so we got the drawings for that. And we started printing pieces. And I called a friend of mine um, who worked at Stargate. Keith and uh, I was like Keith we've got a costume built and he was like okay and he came in sort of evenings and it's part time and he just he he really did mentor my team mm-hmm. he came in and he just sort of said let's try this process let's let's get a press and an oven and cook this stuff and press it and we were just you know it it was, it was really great the way that he was <laughs> able to come in and just like take all of his costume building experience and just like make the suit it would have been great but you know we had like embossed neoprene padding for all of the support structure and it was great so um yeah i i i feel like that really did kick off my career in film because i not only saw the possibility of what you could build but also i got exposed to set a lot mm-hmm. and was continually being set to set you know fix yeah this, fix this or stand here if this breaks fix it um so I did a lot of that. And that's where I kind of started. I'd been on sets lots of times before, but that's where I really started to get to know the crew and, and you know, hours of tedium waiting to put somebody in and out of a spacesuit. You watch the machinations of how everything goes. Um, yeah, I really kind of became enamored with it. That's why even now I like I try to get set as much as possible. If they're going to flip a vehicle or blow something up, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I'm standing around for five hours waiting. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was that was Stargate. Yeah. And then, of course, Battlestar Galactica. Was that before or after Stargate? That was before. I worked on the pilot. You were saying you were worked on the pilot. Yeah, the miniseries. There's a miniseries they did. Um, and I'd when I started working on that, I'd been working in prop building for about three weeks. I finished Elf. Oh, wow. Which I was hired by a guy. Some of my friends worked in the shop, and they're like, hey, we need help finishing this movie. And I had a, a break in the work that I was doing. And so I said, sure, yeah, I'll come and work. And, uh, yeah, three months later, I was like winding down my previous career and, uh, didn't know I wanted to be a prop master, but definitely knew I wanted to build props. You know, it was fun. It was actually Mm -hmm. seemed easy compared to being a professional photographer. You know, you went to the same place every day and made awesome stuff. I was like, and I was learning to run mills and lathes and stuff that I had no idea that I had like proficiency in or that I could be proficient in. Um, so yeah, it really just kind of enamored me Uh of, you know, the process and everything and the kids were starting to be born and, and it it actually paid great. So, you know, I I was like, that's great. So that's, uh, that was my into it for sure. Battlestar Galactica was probably the thing that sealed the deal. You know, I'd been there a few weeks and they came in and go, yeah, they're doing a Battlestar Galactica. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I, growing up, that show right. was just like, I wanted to be stranded on a spaceship fleeing the Cylons. Like, that was such a cool storyline for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, to be able to retell yeah. it and build all this fantastical stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And it, it, it was the same feeling when I got Batwoman, you know? I was like, the, the chance to just be part of telling one of these stories. Um, is different than you know telling a new story that people really really like there's something about that lineage that tradition everybody knows you're going to do a bad rang everybody knows you're going to have right. like you know cylon or like colonial blasters but you're going to do it in a way that is cool and 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 speaks to the times you know? mm-hmm. so it was uh 
Yeah. I probably wouldn't have stayed if a show like Battlestar Galactica yeah. hadn't come along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were there any specific things you worked on on that show that you remember? I built a baby buggy um, out of a baby buggy, but it had this mm-hmm. vacuum molded shell. Um, I was, I, I never, I didn't even know vacuum forming was a thing. Um, and was instructed to build this shape uh-huh. and then showed how to mold it. And, uh, we built this, these giant vacuum form bucks. Um, that was also what I realized that in film and television, they're happy to spend a million dollars for two seconds of screen time. Right. Like there right. were, no, there yeah. were no other futuristic props in the entire scene, except this one baby stroller that said, Hey, we're in a different time and place. Um, so it was interesting. We did all the colonial like blasters and these drop downs. Um, that's where I learned did my first molding and casting. Uh, at the same time, the Chronicles of Riddick was uh, was filming in town, and they were receiving shipments of props oh, from, yeah. from um, Los Angeles that, for whatever reason, were not packed well. Uh-huh. And uh, so I got a crash course in uh, repairing really gorgeous but very broken stereolithography props um that had been metal plated i was just mm. like how on earth did they make this and why did they break it so that shop it was just as is right. i mean now i work on one project for nine months back then that shop probably worked on like five or six television or feature projects at a time um and yeah, the, wow. vari- the variety that came through is just outstanding. The gentleman, Mike Clurry, who ran that shop, um, is in Ottawa now. He's the prop master at the National Arts Centre, so he's gone back to his theatre roots. Um, but he just, he was a, like a mm-hmm. solvent genius, you know. He would, uh, a project would come in and he'd be like, let's do it this way. Um, I learned a tremendous amount about hand building and just about that, how to like inspire people to want to learn and to push people to try new things all the time. You know, that's something I have to do in my shop, which is to to make sure that we're we're always sort of pushing the envelope. Keeps people engaged, makes it fun. I think the first time I ever thought maybe there's something beyond the prop building, um, I had a prop master come to me with uh, a suction cup, a glazer suction cup that goes onto a window. And he says, I want you to turn this into a hull repair device for a spaceship. And it was like the fifth time prop master sci-fi had come to me with one of these suction cups and asked for the exact same problem and i was like it did start feeling a little bit groundhog day right like you know on the hundred it was like (laughs) how many people are we tying up and stabbing in this episode you know it was it wasn't a question whether that was going to happen Uh you know are are we gagging them okay yes we're gagging them we had bags of gags we had cut off knives (laughs) you know and you look at the stunt coordinator across the table in the meeting and it'd be like one reel two hards three rubbers and a cutoff you'd be like yep you know, uh, so <laughs> after, after a while, you just like start getting into that groove. But, you know, I'll never forget those days where everything was fresh and new and everything was just like, you know, it was just like, what are we going to do today? And it still feels like that sometimes. Every new script I read, I'm just like, what's going to be what's going to be the cool thing? What's going to be cool? Well, I think that's about all the time we have for this week. Uh, okay. Thanks, Paxton, for joining us. Well, thank you, Eric. Um, but join us again next week. Uh, we're going to have Paxton on again. Um, so until then and thank you everybody for listening make sure to follow us on twitter at silk mache and email us questions or ideas at propspodcast at gmail.com and subscribe to us on itunes google play and spotify and check out our website at silk flowers and papier mache where you can find all of our old episodes
This has been another episode of Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts with your hosts, Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers. We'll see you next time.